We are in the lesson 112 tonight. A 112, Eddie's passing out the, 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 the handout, if you want to follow along in that. Or if you want to follow along in the Bible, we're actually going to, I guess, start out in Matthew 26, verses 47 through 56. Matthew 26. But we're really going to have to go to uh, a lot of different passages tonight, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to really get the full picture of what we're going to be studying tonight. Uh, this is one of those... Uh, events in scripture that is covered by all four gospel accounts. Uh, each one's going to give us a little bit of a piece to this puzzle. And so we'll want to jump into uh, uh, most of those here this evening. But just to catch us up uh, where we were uh, Sunday morning in uh, the last lesson, we were in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, just prior to that, of course, was our lesson last Wednesday evening where John 17, where Jesus gives the the Lord's Prayer, or the High Priestly Prayer. Again, that whole chapter, John 17, was him uh, offering that prayer. Uh, you know, remember the first five verses were uh, himself praying about himself, but then he went on to pray for his current disciples, and then he went on to pray for his future disciples, you and I. And so that was a, a beautiful prayer that we broke down. But he, uh, from that point on, they head to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's going to be some more prayers offered there by Jesus uh, we're not going to get the full context of you know, what he prays about there. More of a private prayer, uh, but he's going to do that here in the garden. And we talked about how uh, this is right around the area of the Mount of Olives. Actually, Gethsemane means oil press. And so that's, uh, I guess, uh, a good way to remember uh, Gethsemane uh, was right there at the Mount of Olives where uh, there was an oil press there. And we talked about how the garden... Uh, on once, one aspect of the Garden of Gethsemane uh, has sort of those negative connotations with it, right? It was a place of uh, distress. Uh, we were told that Jesus was uh, greatly distressed, greatly grieved. Uh, we recall that uh, he was at, to the point where uh, he had sweat drops like blood, right? And we talked about whether that was a figurative or literal, but in any uh, respect, you know, he was greatly distressed. His soul was distressed to the point uh, that, um, you know, he was uh, quite upset. And we, we looked at, you know, or pointed to the fact that, you know, this was pointing to his humanity, right? That, that even though he was the son of God, um, he was also half human, right? Or he, he was also human. And so, um, you know, that kind of stressed his humanity there. Uh, also, the garden represented disappointment, Right. What did the disciples keep doing when, when Jesus went to speak to them? Yeah, they kept falling asleep, didn't they? And so uh, there was some disappointment there on Jesus's, uh, his respect, that he kept going to his disciples and they were falling asleep. They couldn't stay awake to uh, keep watch for him. And then uh, we also briefly talked about how it was a time of desertion, again, because here in the garden, as we'll get to in today's lesson, uh, Jesus is going to be totally alone. Uh, they're all going to flee and desert him. So on one hand, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane uh, has some of those negative aspects to it, but then there were also some positive aspects that we talked about. Uh, it was a place of supplication, right? Jesus went there to pray. It was a place where he wanted to go and pray. He encouraged his um, apostles to pray as well. And so that's a positive. It was a a place of submission we talked about. Uh, we noticed with each prayer that Jesus made, uh, his confidence grew uh, with what was about to take place. You know, remember, if it, 
you know, please let this cup pass from me if it's thy will. And until the point where Jesus was saying uh, to uh, his disciples that um, this cup's not going to pass, right? That I'm going to have to take this cup. And so it was also a place of strengthening. Uh, we mentioned uh, one of Jesus's greatest challenges back early in his ministry was when he was, you know, in the wilderness for those 40 days and was tempted by Satan. And we recall that the angels came and ministered to him. Well, this here was another event that Luke tells us that a min an angel came and ministered to Jesus. Again, it was just one of these um, tougher moments in Jesus' life uh, during his ministry. And so, um, so an angel came and ministered to him at this point as well. And so again, the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? Uh, there's some positive aspects to it, and there's some, also some negative aspects to it. And so that's where we are here tonight. We're still in the garden, uh, but of course, uh, we're going to talk about the betrayal uh, coming to fruition. And also, uh, we're going to see uh, Jesus being arrested here. And then eventually, uh, starting in the next class going forward, we're going to start looking at the trials that Jesus goes through. These, these mock sham of trials that he's going to go through. So... Again, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this for us. We'll look at a couple of them uh, specifically, and then we'll touch on some of the other ones as well, because we just can't grasp this whole story without uh, noticing what all four gospel writers have to say about uh, this event. Let's think about this for a moment. Um, I don't know about you. You, you, know, you, you might have been in sort of this, um, you know, in your professional lives as well. I remember... Uh, in my professional career, uh, this happened a lot where, um, you know, and it happened to me and, you know, I was one who also did this as well. But, um, you know, you, you work for a business or in my case, uh, a school district, you know, you hire somebody to come in, you train them, right? You, you pay, um, uh, you know, extra money to help them get professionally certified, uh, get some, uh, you know, professional development, you know, you're, you're Getting the, you know, you're training this person to, um, you know, be better in their field, right? And then what, he, what usually happens a couple of years down the road, right? The, the, there's another job across town, right? And so they'll leave for that job. And uh, again, there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, what do you feel like, you know, if you're that person that's training uh, that person that you've put in two or three years of training, uh, helping them, uh, you you've, you know, paid. Um, through the company's uh, pocket to help, uh, help them, you know, develop professionally. How are you feeling at that moment? Yeah, you might feel a little betrayal, right? Is that anything about, or is that anything that, uh, you know, close to what Jesus is going to go through here? It's not, isn't it? Uh, I mean, this, this is the ultimate, ultimate betrayal. And so... You know, just think about this as well. Yeah, here's the question uh, that the curriculum comes up with. But what would you do if you were Jesus and you were betrayed and arrested? Or what would you do if you were there while Jesus was being betrayed and arrested? Um, would, would, you, would you run? Would you scatter? Or would you stay and fight? I would think I'd stay and fight, but I'd probably run. <laughs> yeah. We're going to see... Uh, uh, a little bit of both is going to happen. Right? Some, there, there's going to be some fighting taking place. There's going to be some running. Um, would we sit back and watch? Or would we uh, follow at a distance? 
Again, if you've been with Jesus for three and a half years as one of his apostles and he's getting arrested, uh, what would you do? Right, that's just some, something to think about. Uh, so let's jump right in here to Matthew 26, starting in verse 47. And we'll read Matthew's account. And we'll read John's account here in a little bit. But Matthew here records, uh, While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs, who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? And at that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Okay, so we've got this. We've got this mob, uh, this mob of people coming to the garden. And, uh, you know, again, Jesus is just getting done speaking to uh, his 11 apostles. And here they come. And what do you typically, typically think when a mob's coming your way? Is it a good thing or a, or a bad thing? Scary. Scary? Bad? Yeah, it's usually not a good thing, right, when you see a mob of people coming uh, towards you. And so who is there? Who, who's leading this mob of people? Judas, Judas right? Judas Iscariot. And, uh, you know, again, the, uh, the curriculum sort of talks about this. We don't know. But uh, possibly Judas maybe uh, came to the upper room first, right? Because remember, Judas was at, in the upper room with the other disciples before he left. That's where he last knew Jesus was. So maybe he took this group, and we'll talk more about who's in this group in a, in a moment, but maybe he took that group to the upper room first to find Jesus. And Jesus, of course, wasn't there. And so he brings them to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, you know, why do you think he might have come here? Or how, how do we know that Judas knew where Jesus was in the first place? Yeah, exactly. Judas was one of the 12. He, he knew Jesus's routine. He knew where they stayed. And so, again, he possibly went to the upper room, found out that they weren't there anymore. And so uh, his next best guess was, well, let's go to the, uh, the Mount of Olives where Jesus and them have been staying. And they find them there at the temple, or excuse me, not at the temple, but at the Garden of Gethsemane. And so... Um, Yeah, it was right before that, uh, John chapter... Because he's the one who dipped at the same time as Christ. 
Yeah, they shared the meal together, the Passover meal. Right. They shared the Passover meal together, then Judas leaves, and then he institutes the Lord's Supper. Yeah, so he's been gone for a couple of hours. Um, and he goes and he's, it's set in his heart that he's going to betray Jesus. And so he goes and he's going to put that plan uh, into motion. And so he returns here. Uh, we're, we're told here, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke talks about how Jesus, or excuse me, Judas has uh, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And uh, I think Luke mentions the officers of the temple. And so uh, some of the, you know, the big names uh, of the Jewish um, hierarchy are here uh, with him. Uh, but it's John's account that uh, is, and we'll read this one in a moment, but John's account mentions that uh, he brings the, the Roman soldiers with him as well. And so, um, actually, John uses uh, the word cohort. Cohort. Uh, um, does anyone know exactly how, how many soldiers are in a cohort? Well, there you go. Uh, Miss Helen knows. <laughs> uh, typically 600, right? One-tenth of a legion. And so, whether there were 600 soldiers uh, with uh, Judas plus the, those Jews... Um, you know, some scholars typically debate as to was there really that many? Uh, you know, again, uh, not necessarily sure. But the, the point is there were a lot of people there, right? There's a lot of people coming to this area to uh, arrest Jesus. And, you know, just think about this. What, what do you think uh, Judas had to say to convince the Romans that they needed so many soldiers to arrest Jesus? I mean, shouldn't a couple of Roman soldiers be enough? Why, why does he need a whole cohort of soldiers? Well, they'd seen Jesus' miracle and knew whether they wanted to admit or not, he was all powerful. You know, he brought people back from the dead. He, you know, healed diseases that's never been healed. He, you know, he got some special stuff in the skin show. Yeah. Have they tried to seize him before? Well, yes, they too. Yeah, they, they've tried to seize him before and he's gotten away. Um, as Brother Eddie mentioned, they might be concerned about uh, the miraculous abilities that they've seen him do. Uh, we'll, this, there's a very interesting passage in John. Uh, we'll get to your, here in a moment, uh, and I'll point that out here in a moment. But um, so, uh, again, there's a lot, of, a lot of people involved here, a lot of people showing up at the garden to arrest Jesus. And, and what did they bring with them? What was mentioned Yes, swords and clubs. And uh, I think it's John's account says they had lanterns and torches. Right? And that's what we think about when we think about angry mobs, right? The, the, they got those torches and uh, modern day mobs with their pitchforks and, and torches. Um, but, you know, they, they're bringing swords and clubs. And what is the irony of all of this? That they're coming to arrest Jesus with um, clubs with uh, swords. I mean... He was never violent. He was never violent. They don't know his power. Yeah. The people uh, where Jesus was always at, he was above the people. Yeah. There was, there was always a multitude of people around, and so it was always hard to arrest him, wasn't it? Yes. But here we have the, the Prince of Peace 
and the people are coming out with swords and clubs to arrest him. Right? How, how ironic is that? Um, you know, the, the person who's never hurt anyone, never harmed anyone, he's been preaching a message of nonviolence, right? Turn the other cheek. Uh, when someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. But here they are uh, with these weapons to come and arrest Jesus. And again, it's just... Um, that's possible. That we'll, yeah, we'll, let's touch on that here. Well, let's go ahead and read this. Um, let's, let's turn to John chapter 18. Yeah, so the, the, the temple cleansing when he comes in. So he did show his anger. Yeah, a righteous anger, of course. Exactly, but it was still anger. Yeah. So they couldn't discern whether it was righteous or not Yeah, so, so maybe there were some there that saw him do that that day when, they, when he entered back into uh, Jerusalem for the final week of his life. And so they, they, they know what um, he's capable of. And so... Yeah, let's read uh, John chapter 18, uh, starting in verse 2. Again, this is the same account, but from John's gospel, and he's going to add a little bit extra for us. Uh, Starting in, again, John chapter 18, starting in verse 2. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he again asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these go their way. To fulfill the word which he spoke, of them whom you have given me, I lost not one. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. And so Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. And uh, then we'll stop right there. So again, John gives us uh, a little bit of um, a different uh, viewpoint as to what's going on here. And, uh, you know, Jesus, again, that mob's coming towards him and he goes to them and he asks, uh, who are you seeking? And they, of course, say, Jesus. Jesus says, I am he. And again, look at verse 6. because This is a very interesting verse. Verse 6. Uh, so when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So why? Why did they fall to the ground when Jesus said, it's me. I'm Jesus. Yeah, that could possibly be, right? That they, uh, they've heard of this guy, Jesus, but maybe uh, 
they didn't know exactly who he was, and maybe because of that, they fall to the ground. Um, maybe they expected to trap Jesus, right? And, uh, and Jesus kind of got the, uh, the upper hand here and uh, says, well, I'm the guy you're looking for, right? And they fall to the ground. Uh, I know a lot of commentators said, say that this could be something miraculous, uh, that, they drew, that, um, that they drew back and fell to the ground. But I think it's more of just their reaction about, you know, who this is. Is it for respect? Yes. Uh, yeah, a respectful thing. Yeah. Mary, Mary Jane? They have to believe this person is the one they're talking about. Well, no one even Yeah. They're in awe, aren't they, uh, of who this is. And... Uh, you know they've heard the stories, and uh, and so they they fall to the ground, and um, you know that's a reminder for us too, right? That we should always be in awe uh, of uh, Christ's power and His presence. And so, um, but Jesus He calls their attention immediately right back to their mission. He asks them again, "Who do you seek?" And they again say, "Jesus uh, of Na- the Nazareth." And um, at that point, Jesus said, "You know that's me." But uh, let my apostles go, right? Now, now he's concerned about uh, his apostles. Um, again, another great application point, right? That Jesus is always concerned uh, about his, his followers, both then and now. He's always looking out for them, isn't he? He says, uh, let them go. Uh, you found me, let them, let them go, take me. And of course, uh, what does Judas do to indicate, uh, you know, who exactly is Jesus? He kissed them. Yeah, um, that kind of reminds me of, you know, if you, you know, ever watched like a a mafia movie or something like that. Uh, how do how does like a mafia boss uh, always indicate, you know, who the hit's going out on? Uh, the, the the kiss of death, right? And so. Uh, Judas uh, kisses Jesus, uh, signaling that this is the guy. And uh, Jesus says, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Uh, Back in Matthew's account, he says, friend, do what you have come for. A couple other application points that are made here. Um, Do we... Yeah, that, that was going to be my second point here is, you know, what did, what did uh, Jesus refer to Judas as in this moment? Friend. Friend. Yeah. Yeah. At, at this point, uh, if Judas repents, I mean, can he still come back to Jesus? Yeah, we'll see later, of course, if uh, what's going to happen with that. Uh, but again, that, that's a very interesting point, right? That Jesus calls him friend there. And, uh, but also, uh, let, let's think about that kiss. Um, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, right? He outwardly was showing his affection to Jesus, but inwardly he had other motives, didn't he? And is that something that we see today? I mean, do, do people uh, betray Jesus with a kiss today, if you will? Uh, outwardly, they show uh, that, that they love Jesus, but inwardly, 
not the case, is it? And so we, we, we can make that application as well. Um, I want to focus here on a moment on the apostles' reaction. Um, this, this, was, this, was always, this was drilled into me a long time ago, this uh, piece, and I've always uh, remembered this, and I've always kind of used this in uh, you know, Bible study as far as um, the importance of this. But this is a classic example why um, we need to study uh, all verses pertaining to a particular topic, you know, whether it's the second coming. You know, if we want to study the second coming of Jesus, we need to study every passage that pertains to that. Because that's where a lot of false doctrines come from, is someone will take just one passage and they'll say, okay, this is what the doctrine of the second coming is based on. And they uh, refuse to, you know, notice maybe what's said in, in another passage. And so um, one, of, one of the, uh, the neatest, uh, I guess, uh, examples of... of you know, helping people understand that concept is comes with this account of uh, the the disciple of Jesus cutting off the ear of the high priest's servant. Matthew and Mark, when you read their accounts, they simply say that somebody with Jesus cut off the servant's ear. That's all they say. That's all the information we get. Uh, if we read Luke's account, Luke says that. Uh, it, someone with Jesus cut off the right ear of this servant and that uh, Jesus immediately uh, heals that ear. Right? So now we got a little bit more to this picture of what's happening. But then when you read John's account, John tells us who that disciple is. Who was that? Peter, right? John says it was Peter who cut off his right ear. And so when you take all four of those accounts together, you get the whole picture, don't you? And so, again, that's just an important uh, aspect when, whenever studying the Bible is that we need to um, you know, make sure we study everything pertaining to that topic or, or that passage. Because uh, when we, if we just simply took Matthew and Mark's account, uh, you know, we have no idea who that disciple was that cut off his ear. We had no idea which ear it was. And... Uh, and that Jesus even healed uh, that man's ear. So Peter, he draws his sword. Uh, he, he slices the ear. Remember Peter said uh, a few classes ago that he was ready and willing to die or to go to jail for Jesus to protect him? That's what he's doing here, isn't he? Um, do you think Peter was going for the ear? Yeah, I mean... I don't know, do we have any uh, card-carrying uh, swordsmen here? Uh, um, I mean, how, how easy it is it to slice an ear off of somebody on one swing? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about that if he had a helmet on. All right. Um, yeah, but I think, uh, I think you know, he, he was probably going for a kill shot, wasn't he? Uh, he was going to protect Jesus no matter what. But he, uh, he, he missed uh, and, and slices the ear off, and Jesus had to react quickly. Uh, if Jesus didn't react quickly, what might have happened at that moment? Everyone's uh, in trouble, aren't they? And uh, Jesus has got to calm the situation, right? It might be a riot. It might be their death. But he tells, he tells Peter, stop. No more of this. Put your swords away. And, 
you know, this is an interesting uh, miracle that happens here because it's the last recorded miracle uh, or healing miracle before Jesus' death. Right? Jesus has healed a lot of people in the past three and a half years, but the last one's going to be uh, healing this uh, servant's uh, ear. And so, again, here's some more application points. Uh, spiritual battles are not fought with physical weapons. Right? Um, Jesus tells him to put your sword away, right? Now, are, as Christians, are we to uh, be geared with a sword? Okay, yeah, so a little bit of a trick question, right? Not a physical sword, but a spiritual sword, right? The, the, uh, the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 6, tells us that we need to take up our, our sword of the Spirit, right? And so we do carry a sword, it's just not a physical sword. It's a spiritual sword. And, uh, and so uh, Jesus, you know, he, again, he quickly diffuses the situation. And uh, then, well, if we go back to Matthew 26, Jesus uh, mentions that he has some more powerful resources than just simply uh, a swordsman with them. Uh, do you remember what he said that he could do at that moment? See Matthew twenty six verse fifty three. Yeah, yeah, we want to say ten thousand angels, right? Because of that song, but yeah, twelve verse fifty three here. I have at my disposal more than twelve legions, twelve legions of angels, and I just uh, mentioned uh, a while ago that a legion was six thousand, and so. Uh, our mathematician, 12 times 6. Yeah, 72,000 angels. You know, Jesus is saying, I could have at my disposal uh, right now to save uh, me. And uh, <clears throat> he, of course, is going to surrender on his own free will, isn't he? But uh, he says, again, that he could have had 72,000 angels at his side. Um, but, of course, this is going to be um, a fulfillment of Scripture, right? It has to happen this way. Uh, I'm going to jump to Luke's account real quickly. We haven't touched on Luke's account. Uh, Luke 22. Uh, just going to look at two verses here, verse 52 and 53. Again, of Luke 22. Uh, Jesus says here, uh, Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple, and elders who had come against him, have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. What does he mean by that? At this hour, um, this hour and the power of darkness are yours. Basically, he's saying here is that um, to, to this mob uh, that, you know, this is your moment of triumph, right? That, yeah, you've kind of, you know, won the, the battle, but uh, are they going to win the ultimate war? Yeah, Satan's behind this, isn't he? And because uh, he mentions that the power of darkness, right? That's that's a. Uh, an indication of Satan there. Um, darkness appears to win often, doesn't it? Even today. But uh, 
we know ultimately who's going to win in the end. Jesus, right? And so that, that's a comforting thought for us uh, as well. And so uh, we, we, we end this um, account with uh, the apostles all fleeing. Right? They're, they're seeing that there's actually not going to be a battle taking place. Uh, again, they're, they're thinking on the physical level that, you know, that there's going to be this physical battle. But they see that that's not taking place because Jesus offered himself up to be arrested. And so they all flee. Um, we know that once the trials here start, that a couple of them are going to be nearby. Right? Uh, Peter and, and John are going to... Well, Peter's going to follow at a distance. Uh, John's going to be more invited into uh, the arena uh, because it appears that he uh, knows some of those uh, higher up here. But Christ is now truly alone, isn't he? Um, we, we talked in the last class about Christ being alone, even though his apostles were still there, you know, but they were falling asleep. Or they just weren't concerned, and it felt like he was alone. But now he truly is alone, isn't he? Uh, because they have all fled. Um, let me ask this before we close. I, I tried to point out some of the application points in this lesson. Uh, what do you think was the strongest uh, point or the strongest message in this uh, lesson uh, that maybe we talked about or maybe we didn't talk about? God's will? Yeah, th- th- this, this is going to take place, right? This, these are things that were prophesied, and uh, they're going to take place. Yeah. Obedient to the point of death, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a powerful, powerful lesson. Um, you know, just kind of recap some of those that we pointed out. You know, Christ is always concerned for his followers. Um, we need to fall to the ground due to God's power and presence. Uh, do we betray Jesus with a kiss at times? Um, even when we do. do does he still want to be our friend? Uh, you know, again, are we fighting spiritual battles or are we worried about physical battles? Um, but I think the biggest one to me was this last one where, again, the darkness may appear to win, but uh, God's will will always be fulfilled. Right? Uh, no matter how dark it may seem, no matter what we're going through, right, we can always rely that, uh, that God's got this. Right, that, that Jesus is going to be victorious in the end. And I guess that, that's always a comfort to me. And uh, hopefully it is uh, to you as well. Yeah, they tried to put that light out, didn't they? But they're not going to be able to. All right, I appreciate all the comments this evening. Uh, uh, we'll be in uh, the Jewish trials uh, in Lesson 113 on uh, Sunday morning. And again, we'll have to look at uh, different uh, accounts in the Gospel accounts. Uh, so again, appreciate uh, tonight.